Welcome to the Elevate Your Event podcast, where we talk about how to plan and execute an unforgettable event that will dazzle your guests and generate more income for your organization. From fundraising and securing trendy auction items to event production and logistics, get the best tips and advice from seasoned fundraising and event professionals who have been in your shoes. Welcome back to the Elevate Your Event Podcast, where we talk about the variety of ways that you can make your next fundraising event better. And today, we have a really fun topic. And in order to talk about a really fun topic, which is pricing, we had to bring in some really fun people. Yes! Amazing! (laughs) I love that introduction. (laughs) Back from a vacation overseas. Good Lord. Possibly still jet lagged, but decided to join us today. (laughs) is the ever-popular Diana Duplanchet. Hello. Thank you, Jeff. That was such a nice introduction. And I am jet-lagged, for sure. Awesome. Yeah. Well, thank you for being here. here. Okay. I'm totally pumped to be here. We're going to keep this, you know, (laughs) hopefully under 30, 35 minutes so Diana can get it to her nap. (laughs) I I am not going to take a nap. Okay. But I'm a terrible napper. But thank you for that. I appreciate the offer. Yes. Well, and also joining us is one of our most favorite, and I would say one of our customers' most favorite. Uh, so true. S- service wow. and onboarding and event staff people, Lori Mackay. Hey. Hey. And Hi. nobody cares that I'm here too. <laughs> <laughs> That's totally fine. And Jeff Porter. <laughs> nice. <laughs> I feel like I'm at a hockey game. Okay. <laughs> so th- I called this a fun topic because <clears throat> we spend a lot of time talking about this, especially with people who are inquiring of handbid for sales. And so this okay. isn't a handbid sales call, by the way, but um, we now know, right? And I would say this has probably gotten more complicated over the last two years, Mm -hmm. right? There are so many options out there when you're looking at mobile bidding software and you're probably saying to yourself, I don't know how to navigate that. What's the best software for me? Where do I even start looking? What should I be looking for? And it's interesting. It was kind of the same. I use this analogy a lot, so you guys are probably tired of it, but I was talking to our staff the other day. I said, it kind of reminded me back in the day when I actually did try to take care of my own lawn. I do mow my lawn, but mm. I am not a green thumb when it comes to turning grass green, especially in Colorado, which is not always easy. Mm. Um, True. So mm. I would go into the, you know, the Home Depot and I would stare at this entire aisle of fertilizer and I'd be like, <laughs> I don't know. I don't know what 1052 means. I don't know what any of these things are. I don't know what phosphorus does. I don't know what iron does. Like I don't know any of this stuff. And so you start looking at these things and you're like what do I pick? And so when you don't understand a, what you need or B how the things on the shelf or the options available solve those needs, eh, you pick the cheapest one. Why not? Right. Or the one that looks the prettiest. Yeah. You're a package girl, huh? Pa- oh yeah. You should see me pick out a book. Okay. How about a bottle of wine? <laughs> bottle of wine. Not judge a book by its cover. I judge wine by its cover. <laughs> You're like, it's all purple inside. I might as well just look at the label. It's <laughs> true. No, you can't do that. So that's the whole point is like, I get it, you know? And then more recently we had to replace the windows in our house. Our house is old enough now. And in Colorado, the climate is brutal on windows just because the temperature changes are so massive during the day sometimes and then at night. So anyway, you know, we're like, okay, we want black windows or whatever. That seems pretty stylish. 
you know, go to Home Depot, get a quote. Oh, they don't have black windows. Hmm, I don't know why. Let's find another. Oh, you have black windows? Great. We just want black windows. So we get a quote, and then my wife's like, I think we should probably get a couple of other quotes. I'm like, yeah, you probably are. We don't know anything about windows. Like, we know how they work, right? But we don't exactly know why there's different types and why why are some of our quotes $20,000 and some of our quotes $80,000 for all the windows in our house? That seems outrageous, yeah. right? Mm. You know, you just did this I too. I just did it too. Yeah. I know. Oh, that's so, right. I know they're like mobile bidding software and you're talking about windows. <laughs> yes, we're going to talk about windows for one Actually, second. Actually, they're yeah. pronounced windows. Windows. I windows. can't believe we brought this uh, back around. <laughs> sorry. <laughs> okay. It's all right. For Jeff. all of you folks from the Southeast, we're talking about windows. <laughs> windows. Okay. okay. So, anyway, so Carrie, who's very thorough, very analytical, she brings in a bunch of other quotes. And so she said to me, hey, can you just not go into work right away? Because these guys are coming to give us a quote and I would want you here. I said, fine. So these guys show up and they're like, well, where else are you looking? And we're like, well, you know, we looked at Lowe's and Home Depot and he says, well, there's going to be some things that they're not going to do that we're going to have to explain to you because they're just going to use a standard installer. And so are you prepared to retrim the outside of your house where the windows are replaced? Because likely when we replace these windows or anybody comes in and replaces them, some of your boards probably need to be replaced that border them, right? Whatever the frame. Mm-hmm. And are you going to seal them? And then are you going to do this? And are you going to repaint everything? Carrie's like, yeah, maybe I'll repaint, but I didn't factor that into the price. And how long, how, how much is that going to cost? And he said, and what did they quote you? And he looks at it and he's like, oh, vinyl windows. You can't, you can't have black vinyl windows in Colorado. Mm-hmm. Why not? And he's like, he starts to explain why. And so now all of a sudden, now we're getting educated on, hey, this is what you said you want. And here's some other things that you need to consider, right, that are going to impact that, that are going to make it a better, you know, experience for you or a better product or result for what you want for your house. And here are some things that you shouldn't do, like buy black vinyl windows in Colorado, which will fade to a gray, he says, within a year or so. Whoa. Mm. Right? So I was like, all right. Fine. How much is this going to cost? <laughs> <laughs> but he he gave you questions that you never thought to ask. Never thought to ask. Yeah. Right? And so <clears throat> we've been doing a lot of that. Mm-hmm. Right? We because, have. you know, we got started back in 2011. And I would say for the first four or five years, the number of mobile bidding companies that we knew about or that were, you know, I would say – considered by people that were also considering us was a handful. Mm-hmm. Okay. And so, you know, it was, it was very logical to say like, well, this is what they do. This is what these other people do. Now we get on the phone with people and they're like, well, I'm looking at this piece of software. And we're like, okay, I've never heard of them before. Hold on. Yeah. <laughs> Just quick <laughs> <look> research. <laughs> <laughs> totally. And I think part of that was with COVID, right? Mm-hmm. Um, everybody moved online, right? And then when everybody moved online, all of a sudden, you know, fundraising software tools that always did kind of online donations and online events of some sort added an auction component. And now they're mobile bidding solutions. But are they really? I mean, again, it comes back to what do you need, mm-hmm. right? And what factors do you need to consider? And so now the landscape is just massive. And so what we want to do today is, this is like I said, we're, we're not here to sell you hand bid because it might be very well that. We're not a good solution 
for people that are listening to this call. Yeah, okay? it's not for everybody. No, and we would be able to tell you that. But what we want to do is start talking about the things that you need to be asking, the things that you need to be considering when you're looking at software like this as it pertains to your event. Okay, and maybe even just beyond this one event. Mm-hmm. But when you think about, okay, I'm looking for software to help me automate and quote, elevate my event, yeah. right? Right. <laughs> what kind of software am I looking for? And is it really going to elevate my event? Yeah. Okay. So, and is it going to do it for this specific event or is it across the board? And what kind of need, questions? Or do you need more than event software for one event? Right. Do you need event, you know, software that does multiple purposes? Yeah, so. exactly. So, before we get into some of those elements, let's let's start with the elephant in the room, which is why in the heck does some software say it's free? Ah. And some software is a few hundred bucks, and then some software is a few thousand dollars. Like I don't get it. Right? And so let's start there. Okay. Okay. And All then right. from there we'll start talking about, okay, so for these packages that do cost more. Why do they likely cost? They don't just cost more because they cost more. There's right. there's reasons why, and so we're going to dive into that also. Mm-hmm. Okay, so in terms of free, let's just get this one out of the way. Like <laughs> we we talked about this on a previous podcast too, right? Free is not free. It's not free. Yeah, it's not. Okay, um, somebody is paying for it. Somebody. Right. Yes. These, these people are not working for free at this organization that are writing this software, okay? And they're not getting free rent, right? And those aren't, you know, their, their refrigerator is not full of sodas donated by the Coca-Cola Foundation, okay? <laughs> <laughs> that ping pong table was not free, right? These people are, like, they're getting paid. This business has costs, so this business is making money. So the software, it may appear to be free to you. Okay, as a nonprofit or somebody running auctions, but somebody is paying for it. And the recent trend is that it's your donors that are paying for the software. Mm. Okay. And so is that what you want? I mean, that's the first question. Yes, I'm totally fine with that. Okay. Well, I think it would behoove our listeners for you to describe the workflow under which a donor receives that messaging. Because I believe that you had a friend who had a situation where um you were he he was bidding in an auction and thought he donated okay he donated and the in system, a paddle raise okay that's right that's right i'm remembering this now he donated in a paddle raise one thousand dollars okay and they were using don't ask me why because this organization raises plenty of money they were using free software and his bill was for $1,150. And so he had a $150 tip put on there, okay? And he was trying to figure out, well, what is that? And then he's like, well, maybe it's the credit card fees. And I think, you know, they were covering the credit card fees, Mm -hmm. but where's this 15% tip coming from? So he called the organization up and they said, oh, that allows, that that's from the software company, okay? And so, and so that allows us. That, they didn't say it, it makes it free to us. They said that allows us to use the software. Wow. Okay. <laughs> so, okay. It doesn't <laughs> sound like they really understood what they were not paying for. That's right. <laughs> I agree, so, Lori. <laughs> so anyway, he's annoyed. He's annoyed. And he said, "They said, well, we can refund that fee mm. if you want." He goes, "Yeah. I, I mean, I don't want to pay hundred. Like, if 
the money was going to you, it'd be fine, but right. the money's not going to you. So a couple things that people need to understand, okay? These tips, okay, that money is going directly to a software company. It is not going to the charity, mm-hmm. okay? So the consequence of that is you really, as a charity, have no idea how much money they're extracting out of your guests. Right. And what you're actually doing, if you ask us, is you're handing this software company a bunch of supporters of your organization, call them wealthy, call them generous, whatever you want, and you're allowing this company to extract money out of them. Mm-hmm. Okay? And in most cases, probably considerably more than the software would cost if you just bought it. Yeah, right. So we're not fans of that. We're fundraisers. I wouldn't do this with my own donors. I wouldn't ask them to pay for my software. I mean, we have an event. Like, you know, obviously we try to have ticket sales and stuff cover the cost of the event. Um, We try to get sponsorships to cover the cost of the event. That money's coming to us. Okay. And so now the donor gets the tax Mm write-off because it's coming to us. We know exactly how much money's coming in from our donor base. Mm -hmm. Okay. And we can thank them for it. So Well, it tells me, based on your friend's experience and I think other things we've heard in the industry, because, you know, we have clients, prospective clients who call and say, we tried this free version and it did not go over well because it it's not clear. And no. then there's a trust that's broken. There's yeah. something that's, that's confusing point. about it. And, and then organizations wise up and say, this isn't how we want our donors to see us. We want them to understand where all their money is going. That's right. So, and these things are not easy to get out of. So, so there's two, like, and I'm not going to say, we're not going to talk about who these companies are. You can go find them They're, They say free fundraising software all over their Google search results and stuff, but there's kind of two ways to get at them. Some of them will allow you to turn that feature off, but then they're going to charge you some sort of percent. Well, use that percent as a, as a rough proxy of how much money they're going to extract from your donors because they're not going to lose money by letting you turn it off. Okay. Okay. So if they, let's just use easy math because you know, that's me. I don't, I don't do math in my head well. So 5%. It's a total lie, y'all. Okay. He totally does math well in his head. <laughs> Keep going. So 5%. <laughs> so if we went with 5%, say you're raising $100,000 at your event, all in, top. I mean, that's paddle raise, live auction, silent auction, drawings, whatever else you're doing. Ticket okay. sales, whatever. Okay. So you're raising that kind of money at your event, which is not unheard of, right? We have plenty of clients raising that kind of money. Sure. Your donors are paying them, or you're going to have to pay them 5%, which means on average, your donors have, if you turn that on, would be paying them about $5,000. There isn't mobile bidding software out there, except for a few exceptions that would cost you that much Mm -hmm. to just buy it. Mm -hmm. Okay. Or ask for, you know, and then get someone to be a tech sponsor. Yeah. Right. Sell a $2,500 tech sponsorship, Mm -hmm. you know, or if you feel like you want that cost covered, if you leave it on, but you allow, and they'll say, oh, your donors can turn it. They could just opt out. Have you tried to opt out of these things? Oh, it's not easy. Like Mm -hmm. if you're talking about make it easy, I mean, that's the, the trend, right? For 2023, 2024, make it easy for your donors to donate. Well, now you've made it hard Mm -hmm. because we try, we were playing with a couple of them. You go on to donate it automatically throws in what it thinks you're going to – and one of them, it's 15%. The other one we tried was 12%. Wow. So when you clicked on the thing to change it, it was 15%, 12%, and 8% or whatever. I'm like, those are still pretty high. <laughs> like all of those numbers are high. And then there's an other. 
other. So you have to select other. And then in this other spot, now you have to type in the amount you want to tip. Hmm. And so you have to type in zero. And people don't like typing in zero. It makes them feel cheap, I think. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. You know, so they hate it. And so Well, and they also think that the zero dollars or the zero is a is less of a donation to the organization. Yes. That's the impression I've seen where you know, you see these options for a tip. They think they're tipping the organization. That's right. And they're not uh-huh. tipping the organization. So there's there's a little bit of a mind game happening there where the donors are like, oh, well, I want to help the organization. Here, I'll give them 2% right. or 3%. But that's not going to the organization. That's, right. that's going to the software company. Right. Hmm. So it's a mind game for the yeah. for the donors. So and that's then they're really upset when they find out that money didn't They go. are annoyed. Mm-hmm. Yes. Yeah. Really upset, annoyed, confused. My friend was when I explained. Actually, he didn't really fully understand this anyway until so I explained it to him, and then he was then he was mad. He's like, "Well, I'm calling them, and you know, how cheap can they be? You know." And I was like, "Well, come on. I mean, hang in there. I mean, yeah. they're take a deep Well, the organization yeah. isn't thinking that yeah. they're being cheap necessarily doing that. They think they're being frugal. But that's mm-hmm. their. But that's the impression it gives to the donor. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So there's a couple bad angles that come off from right. lack of, I mean, I just would say it's a lack of transparency. Mm-hmm. So if you go with something like that, you need to educate your donors walking into that. They need to understand that tipping is for the software company mm-hmm. and that's to help cover the cost of the software. Mm-hmm. Yep. Well, you're not going to find hand implement tipping. You can charge premiums. You can premiums. tip me. <laughs> <laughs> Lori accepts tips. <laughs> I'll come to your event and you can tip me $5,000. I will let you do that. <laughs> Hilarious. Yes, that is funny. Um, okay, so let's, let's move past free software. Okay. So now we know that software costs money. So what are the things that are going to drive the cost of the software? Okay, and let's first and foremost... I think it's user experience. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Okay. When you look at the applications and the and the tools out there, the ones that are generating both a great end user experience and also I would say a good auction manager experience, mm-hmm. they're investing in that. Mm. And I think it matters because a guest that's enjoying your software, a guest that finds it easy to use, a guest that finds it engaging is going to bid more, possibly donate more. I mean, at least stay more connected. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Anything else on that you guys want to add? Well, when, when researching software, ask the, the representative to show you what the end user experience is. They should be able to easily show you what it looks like. If it's a, a mobile bidding software, they should be able to show you what it looks like on all different devices, if that's an option. Can they show you what it looks like on a desktop? Can, what does it look like on my phone? What if I download an app and do it from here? They need to see the end user experience. Yep. And how easy is it for an end user to get connected and mm-hmm. in, right? Yeah. Well, I would say yes, 100%, Lori. I love that. And I, I think it's when I do demos for our clients, I try to make sure to cover the laptop, desktop, the phone on the mobile, the phone on the iPhone, or the app on the iPhone, and the app on the iPad. Mm-hmm. And a lot of our prospective clients have a great concern about their the age of their donor and how they're going to adopt to the new system are they if they're moving from paper how are they how are they going to make their donors feel comfortable with this change or if they're just tra- changing from one mobile bidding solution to another how is that experience going to go with this older demographic and when it's easy when you click a link then and you get auto logged in 
everyone is yeah. like, is that it? <laughs> You're just like, well, it, it should be. It should be. And that's, and that's <laughs> yeah. the thing though. Like we, you know, wherever we can, we like to look and see what other companies are doing with their software, obviously. And so one of the cases they're like, oh, this company has this new app. How cool. We should download it. We have an app, mm-hmm. right? So let's see how they did their app. You mm-hmm. know, we could, you know, we, maybe we learned something. Well, I had to type in some code. I'm like, where the heck do I get this code? Like it pops up and it's just, it's like a screen with a code. Mm. It says, enter your code. Mm. <laughs> you're like, wait a minute. Where the heck Can do I, I get, get a little a color around that? Right. right. <laughs> Can we embellish? <laughs> One of the other ones out there that, that created an app, we log into it and we have no idea where to go. Wow. And mm-hmm. so we're like, where are the items? Like, I want to start bidding on stuff. Mm-hmm. Right. And so, we're just here to say, like, you you also should try to play with these two. Yeah, take your time. Right. I, I tell my clients, my prospective clients, to put, if they're making a decision, take these various solutions and put them on their phones and then have somebody else in your committee meeting bid against you hmm. and really see how easy it is. That's right. For the first time, get, get started for the first time. So I, I, I think it's really important. You have to be educated on the system to answer the questions from your committee and to do that play around with it and user experience it's an art and a science Mm. okay Mm -hmm. but you need to look and say i i found this to be a good user experience and that means this company is investing in the the end user experience and what that means to me my event my guest satisfaction my you know, my revenue, all of the above. What would you say if the user experience looked like an old video game, Jeff? A well, night I'd say from that the company 1990s? is probably not very innovative. <laughs> <laughs> I hear that a lot. If you're like, using software that looks like it was written in the '90s, it's probably not a company that you should consider. Okay, and and I'm not trying to bash on anybody, but right, um, they're not investing in the end user experience. And if you look at companies and kind of where UIs have gone over the years, you know, Apple's always people's benchmark, right? Because they try to focus on that quite a bit. And and I think people recognize and see that mm-hmm. and say, yeah. And if you look at Apple's always been a leader in a certain sense in where the user, the user interface is going, the user experience is going. Um, <clears throat> you know, you look back at 2009, 2010, it was this skeuomorphic design, right? Everything looked like it was real. Like the, the <laughs> Apple calendar app had stitching around it. It looked like it was leather, right? Oh, you know, God, and then... I forgot about that. Remember that? Yeah. And then they, they went to their flat design mm-hmm. and all the icons on the iPhone went flat. Oh, wow. You know, and now it's kind of morphed from there and everybody followed them, mm-hmm. right? And so, you know, but... All, the only reason I'm bringing that up is because that's people that are continuing to kind of advance the topic, mm-hmm. right? People that you see their user interface designs evolved over time. Right. You can say these people are paying attention to how people are using our software and they're making adjustments mm-hmm. and they're staying current. Mm-hmm. Well, and they're if, open to feedback. I mean, that also yes. means, you know, not only are you trying to keep up with the coolest trends or be ahead of the game, but you're also an organization or a company that's willing to take feedback from people and say, oh, well, this didn't work. Let's try this and right. and be innovative because you're listening yep. to the to the experience. Yep. When I think about how the handbid iPad app has evolved since 2015, maybe when I was hired in 2015, it had a hardwood floor background. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> the only thing you could do on it was place bids. Right. And now with a five digit pin code. With a five digit pin actually 
Right, with the yes. five-digit PIN code. That's right. Then, then, <laughs> then we made it so many changes. Now you can check people in. You can place live bids. You can do run your paddle race. Uh, we can run yeah. your paddle race from it. it yeah. There's so many cool things. You can scan QR codes. It's amazing when I think about what that has happened with that. It's iPad going through thing. a redesign again. There you oh go. Oh my gosh! <laughs> awesome. Because it's so time. <laughs> so, but that's. I, I think we've kind of beat this horse to death. It yeah. is it is absolutely important for you to look at and say. Yes, this looks like it was written in the last four years or something. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> um, but, but along with interface and usability, let's talk about the other one. And, and I put on here adherence to standards and policy. So the first one let's talk about is just accessibility. And, and that one, what is the heck? What in the heck is that? Okay. Mm. And you might see some websites have the little man in the corner. It looks like, yep, he's <laughs> yeah. got little arms up in the air. And it says that this site is accessible or something. So... This be, this kind of reared its ugly head during COVID because right. when people had to use software online, now all of a sudden you have people paying attention to how accessible is this software to people with disabilities, mm-hmm. okay? So if I'm a blind user, can I use a screen reader and navigate this software to donate, bid, whatever, mm-hmm. okay? You know, or if I have some sort of other visual impairment and I can't see certain color combinations, is there a way for me to modify the software to accommodate that? Or whatever. There's a plethora of them, mm-hmm. right? Um, and it comes – it could even just be you have an older guest and they don't see very well, so they cranked up the font size. I've already done this, guys. It tells you how old I am. Cranked up the font size on their phone so they can see. And does that reflect in the, in whatever you're using, whether it's an app or the website or whatever? It's doubtful it's on the web. But, you know, when you're inside of that app, are they pulling in those changes, high contrast, high, you know, font size, you know, settings mm-hmm. that that end users put on their phone? Okay. That's accessibility. And there are standards around it. Yeah. And so, you know, we work with a lot of universities, and they're always the first to ask, do you comply with these standards? And that's a requirement for them. It's a requirement for mm-hmm. them because they don't want to get sued. And, look, the lawsuit started going up mm-hmm. because you have people sitting around going, they're not compliant. They're legally required to be compliant. We're going to sue them. You know, and you don't, you don't want that type of situation. So you need to look and say, the mobile bidding software I'm investing in, is it accessibility compliant? It's called WCAG, and <clears throat> you can ask them. I mean, so you're at like, we, earlier in the show. We said, "What question should people be asking?" Mm-hmm. That's one. How accessible is your software? Mm-hmm. Okay. We had a kid who was blind get up on stage. He and he was he was kind of the MC of this event. He got up on stage with a screen reader in the Hambit app and donated. Right, that's really cool, and that was fun to see. Yeah, mm-hmm. right, <clears throat> and he was. He, of course, came off stage and goes, i got a couple of ideas for you on how to make this better. <laughs> Send them my way. So cute. We'll, we'll dive into that. Yeah. But it's important, mm-hmm. you know, that you're able to do that. Um, the other one I would say that's coming up is data privacy. So Ooh. we hear about this all the time. Our sales reps are always like, okay, there's another state that has a data privacy law. Do we, do we adhere to it or not? Um, they're coming everywhere. Virginia has one now. Obviously, California has been around for a few years. Um this, the country of Canada has a big data privacy thing. In Europe, it's GDPR. And they all have certain requirements. And in most cases, they come around, how are you protecting end users' data? And can that end user manipulate their own data all the way up to even being able to remove their own account? Mm-hmm. Yes, and, and we support all of that. But it's, it's important 
as a charity when you're evaluating these companies that you understand that. Why? Because you want your donor's data to be protected. Okay, And you also want to make sure that in terms of data privacy that you're adhering to all of the laws that apply to you. Not all of them do. Okay, right. And so you need to also ask what, what laws apply to me and an attorney can help you with that. But, but data privacy is another one. And then Diana's favorite. PC. PCI. PCI. PCI compliance. The heck is that? <laughs> <laughs> Payment card industry. Payment card industry. So a lot of mobile bidding solutions out there would tell you we're PCI compliant. And the reason they say that, what does that mean? That means that they have, according to them, met some standard that the payment card industry has put in place that indicates that they're credit card secure. Mm-hmm. Okay. Well, I don't know of any cloud-based software these days that's even storing credit card information. In most cases, what's happening is they've partnered with a payment provider, and they're using that payment provider's secure, whether it be APIs or forms or JavaScripts or whatever, to securely capture credit card data, never touching the mobile bidding company servers, going straight into the vault of this payment provider. And so that's how they're protecting card information. And that is 80% of it for sure. Okay, But what's around that that you have to be aware of is there's still some obligation for these mobile bidding companies to provide some amount of security compliance. Okay, And you, you know this. I mean, how many you know, forms from universities and large corporations do we have to fill out mm-hmm. asking us all these questions about backups and encryptions and all that mm-hmm. other kind of stuff? Yeah, and they want to know that it's tokenized. So Tokenized. on the side of the manager, when 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 the staff when your internal staff is looking at a bidder profile, they're just seeing XXXX and then the last four digits. Right. And so it's not truly visible to anybody yeah. here at Handbid. Hopefully not in some of the other mobile bidding companies out there. But the, the tokenization is what is what they're looking for, correct? That's part of it, yes. Yeah. So they and that part I think is largely solved by using some of these third party payment providers like a Stripe, you know, or a PayPal uh-huh. or a Braintree, um, you know, and, there, and there's other ones as well. So, but there's still things the mobile bidding company has to have in place, and it's always my, my favorite benchmark is I'll go create an account on one of their sites, and if I can use the word. Password is my password. Oh, yes. They are violating a certain PCI, yeah. like, I would say, requirement, okay? And I was like, are you really, I mean, are you really, are you just saying you're PCI compliant because you went and you just used Stripe to tokenize and vault all your cards? Fine. Mm-hmm. But you still have to do all these other things. Mm-hmm. And you have to have certain policies in place, and you have to update those policies every year. And there's just a variety of other things that happen. So if you're asking somebody are you PCI compliant? There's a 99% chance they're going to tell you they are because they're in business, okay? Mm-hmm. But you 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 are as a mobile, as a charity at risk as well if they're not complying to these things. You're at risk of a data breach, you're at risk of not being compliant and your merchant account can get affected. So you need to maybe dig a little deeper, maybe ask them for their attestation of compliance. There you go. What is that? AOC. That they have to fill out a document and submit it. And so they have it. Mm-hmm. And you can ask for it as a prospect. Um, I, and you're probably like, what the heck am I going to do with this? Well, 
I don't know, maybe one thing, you could, you could hand it to one of your techie dudes to look through, mm-hmm. okay? But the other thing you could do is you could, that at least tells you they're going through the discipline of filling it out. The other thing, though, is go create an account. I mean, type in the word password and see if it works. It works on almost every <laughs> mobile bidding site, except for handbid, it will not work. But <laughs> but a lot of them, it will let you do that. Why? That's that's actually a violation of of what they ask you to do. So anyway, we, we won't get security's boring. We're not going to talk about boring. Yeah. It is, but it's important. It is important. Yeah. Because yeah. every time, you know, you'll set up accounts with people and you're like, okay, now you got to set your password. And they're like, oh my gosh, I have to set this big long password or I have to do all these things. I'm like, this is good. Yeah. <laughs> this <laughs> is actually a good thing. Let's introduce you to one password. Right? Yeah. <laughs> one right. password. I'm going to put in a shameless product plug for one password. Oh, it yeah. is ba- absolutely a lifesaver. I love that thing. It generates all my passwords. I only have to know one password. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> That's it. Hence the name. Hence the name. <laughs> wow. That Go out and download it and play with it. It is so, like, you will not complain again about eight characters, uppercase, lowercase, whatever. I laugh now because the other day I had to sign up with a new account. And um, this was at, I don't even, it was some online tool or whatever. And so I had one password generate me a password. And it came back and goes, I'm sorry, your password cannot be longer than 14 characters. I'm like, wow. Cannot be longer than 14 characters? <laughs> That's a new one. That's so funny. That's it cannot the, be too secure. That's right. That's the opposite <laughs> of secure. Anyway. Oh, God. Passwords, passwords. Anyway, so another thing to ask about their mm-hmm. security compliance. Um, Okay, APIs and third party integration. Oh, you yes. get asked about this a lot, I bet. Oh, my gosh, all the time. Our clients or prospective clients want to know, how are you going to make my life easier so that I can directly connect the Hamba data to my CRM? And I want to be able to do that seamlessly. And if I can't, you know, if y'all don't have an integrate, a direct integration, what are my options? So, um, yeah, it's it's important because all of your donor data lives somewhere else. And it's, I think it's important for a variety of reasons. So obviously everybody thinks, oh, it's just easier. It just saves me time. It does save you time, okay, right? If you can synchronize your contacts between your CRM and your mobile bidding software or your event fundraising software, that helps, right? Mm-hmm. But it's also more secure because mm. people, they forget this part because if I don't do that, what do I have to do? I have to export my contacts out of my CRM into a spreadsheet, which I'm storing, hopefully on a laptop that's secured, but again, right? <laughs> maybe not. So then it sits there, or maybe I threw it in Dropbox or some other file sharing tool, and then I have to upload it into the mobile bidding software. Mm-hmm. Okay. And so that there, now I've got a copy of my user's private information stored on a hard drive somewhere. Mm-hmm. Okay. Mm-hmm. Just pointing it out. All right. And then on the on the flip side of that, you're going to have the same thing when you're trying to get transactions back and forth, right? And then the more steps you do in that, it's just prone to more error yeah. for whatever reason. Maybe you didn't import it right. Maybe you had the column switch. I don't know. But anyway, it saves you time. It is definitely more secure, and I think it would reduce errors. Mm-hmm. So that's one reason I think that that's important. But you have to look out there and say, okay, so if this software is, you know, again, we'll skip the free ones, but – this software is 200 bucks. Am I, does it have an API? Can I auto load all my items into it? Can I synchronize this with my CRM? Can I synchronize my transactions? Can I get all my data out of this tool and into like QuickBooks? You know, those are the things you need to ask and say, because at some point, even if you're not ready for that today, 
you know, in the future, you might be you're like, great, I'll just ditch that software. I'll move to the other one. Again, we should do a podcast on why you should, you know, stick with certain mobile bidding companies versus switching them every year because your data is all over the place. But, <clears throat> but either way, I think it is important that you look and see what kind of capabilities do they have. And sometimes, like we have a, Zap- a Zapier plugin. You guys are familiar with Zapier? Yes. Yeah. It's kind of like the WYSIWYG programming tool out there. And it allows our clients to do a variety, I would say, kind of fun stuff. Like you can do the serious stuff. Like you can say every time somebody buys a ticket, then put them in this, you know, spreadsheet over here or send this to QuickBooks or whatever. You can do that stuff. Send me an email. Yeah. Send me an email. Oh, cool. Yeah. That's a good one. But you can do fun stuff. Like every time someone buys a ticket, I text Diana and tell her, right? Or every time (laughs) someone checks in at the door who has a VIP status, then text this person and say, Lori Mackay showed up, Mm -hmm. right? That's the fun stuff, right? Yeah. I think it would behoove our listeners to have you explain what a Zapier plugin is. I mean, I, I, I the way I explain it, and you can kind of add some color is that I say Zapier is a conduit between two different softwares. Two cloud softwares. Okay. Yeah. Oh, I got it right. Yay. Yep. <laughs> exactly. And and there's a trigger and there's an action. So it's like when this happens, then do that. There's actually another one out there for like personal use calls if then if this then that. Cool. Right. It's the yeah. same thing, right? Yeah. So if, you know, my garage door opens, then turn on my lights kind of mm-hmm. thing. Right. <clears throat> it's the same thing, but this is in the cloud space. So it's like if this event happens, if this auction status changes to closed, or if this person checks in, or if this ticket is purchased, or if this item crosses its reserve price, or, you know, whatever, mm-hmm. okay, then I want you to do this, mm-hmm. right? And we have a guy in Europe who's literally, he was playing sounds and trying to turn on light bulbs, okay? Oh gosh, so funny. So it was hilarious. So it's just, sometimes <laughs> it's it's real time and it works and it's cool. Sometimes it's not, but it was it was interesting to watch because he's like, yeah, I just... I want this light to go on in our auction room when a bid comes in. <laughs> so he got it, he got it working. <laughs> I love you know? that wow, idea. your room is strobing. It's like the, right. <laughs> the Kmart blue light special. <laughs> yes, exactly. That's the fun stuff. But we did. Memories. We showed these guys Memories. how to do a, a thermometer in a PowerPoint slide. Cool. You know, it was, Google, it was actually yeah. Google Slides, not PowerPoint. But nice. it was Google Slides, and they, they wanted it to dynamically update. Mm-hmm. And they're like, but we want to show this slide. We're in a presentation. Like, mm-hmm. I don't I, – because Hamlet has a dashboard. Yeah. Right? They didn't want to go out of it. And so I said, oh, well, that wouldn't be hard. You're literally going to have it every time a, like – purchase or a donations made you're going to have an add a row to a google spreadsheet and then the, the slides built off the google spreadsheet and it updates itself every five seconds oh, and he was blown away we're like watch this this is cool that's the fun stuff yeah right? anyway. well, i think it's good to ask those good questions you know as the decision maker of your organization or somebody who's gathering the information for the decision maker of the organization when you ask if your crm integrates ask how yeah. Because we've had a lot of people come to us that said, oh, yeah, I was told that this integrates. And really what they meant was I was going to download a spreadsheet and upload a spreadsheet. So yeah. we're talking about a little bit more sophisticated integration. We are. Yes. We are. And a little more real time. A little more real time, a little more sophisticated. So that's yeah. a good point. Um, the last thing I put on here is just the, the types of support they offer. Mm-hmm. Right. So when you're like, okay, so if I'm going to buy $200 software, I'm pretty certain they aren't going to offer you tons of support. And have they run a check-in at a real live event? Yeah. So what kind of support are they going to offer? Yeah. Yeah. Email, chat, phone, um, what kind of expertise they have. And we're going to talk about that next. But, you know, I would say you kind of have to get a sense of that. 
I mean, can they even staff your event? Like, look, we're not a staffing company, and we're not here to tell you that you need to hire our staff to come. But we have plenty of clients who need that level of service. Mm-hmm. They want an experienced event person showing up on site. And so you need to factor that in. Is that something you need? Well, if you're not sure if you need that, you have to ask yourself some questions. How comfortable are you running the event and using the software? Mm-hmm. And I don't care. Like, it could, doesn't have to be hand Like, the software you're looking at buying, how comfortable are you handling all the details of the software and then executing an event using it? And that's everything from ticketing, registration, check-in, running your paddle raise if you're doing that, you should be, running your live auction, doing a checkout, running invoices at the end of the night, everything, okay? Um, And then knowing all the nuances of that, especially when, you know, you're in the heat and stress of an event, Yeah. Mm -hmm. right? So the other question I ask is, how how willing are you to tolerate any issues? And I'm not saying necessarily software issues, but just any issues, you know, this guest can't figure it out or this volunteer left and now you don't have anybody in the bidding area or, you know, the power went out at check-in. We've seen that, right? I mean, you just name it, right? When these issues, how, how able are you to handle those, you know, and then, and then figure out like, honestly, how much time do you have? Like, do you want to be spending time running check-in in the software or do you want to be spending time with your donors? And I get it. Sometimes for budget reasons, you can't. Mm-hmm you know, spend time with your donors. But if you feel like you can, sometimes it's worth the investment. Yeah, yeah we go. We yeah. go to events. And and again, it's, it's not a hand-bid plug. It's just to be clear on, you know, I would say 80, 80% of our clients use our software without us on site. Right. And and then the other percentage have us, have us come. And sometimes that sometimes you need to make that decision for year one. Mm-hmm. And you get those experts to come in for year one and you get it. You're like, okay, I see what they did with check-in. I see right. this process. And then really you can start to take the reins. Yep. So that that would be, I mean, really that is our goal is to kind of phase ourselves out of that job and to let the organizations do it on their own. Yeah. It I, should be that way. I feel I feel like it's like it's it's almost like this curve, right? So in the beginning, it's like we're there to help you kind of figure out how to do it. Mm-hmm. And then some of those of charities over the years do it themselves and then they evolve to the point where they're like yeah we're just going to enjoy the event can you guys come back and run it first? <laughs> <laughs> this is true <laughs> this is true. funny but it's it's something to consider i mean mm-hmm. in terms of you know the these mobile bidding companies that do offer on-site staff are doing so for a reason it's not just to extract more money out of you it is because they feel like for a lot of their customers they have something to offer at the event okay well and leading up to the event you know have you spoken to anybody about whether this software is set up to maximize what you need for your event before you even get to the event? And mm-hmm. so do you have support leading up to that? Do you have the opportunity to meet with event experts and coaches and people that have that experience to be able to make sure that you have check-in set up the way that needs to be set up based on your event right. and really having a partner and somebody that comes alongside you. And then boy, if that same person can actually show up at your event, that's pretty cool. So you have a really cool relationship and rapport with that person. Then you actually know who's coming to your event right. as opposed to a mystery person who's never 
talk to you, never doesn't really know you or what you're doing or your event. And when they arrive, you have to spend the first half an hour of their arrival explaining to them how your your event works. Mm -hmm. And so maybe you can minimize that by having a partner mm-hmm. leading I, up to your event. I think that's a good segue into the, you know, because we, we were always asked, what other factors should they consider? Because we went through, let's just kind of quickly summarize and end on the last one. So what's the user experience look like, right? What policies do they adhere to, whether it be PCI compliance or accessibility or data privacy laws, right? Um, what APIs and third-party integration capabilities does it have? What types of su- customer support do you get, right? And so now we're, we're talking about what kind of expertise do they have in event fundraising? That's, I think that's the most important one to end on mm-hmm. because it's the reason why some of these people offer staff and some don't. We wouldn't offer staff to a charity and send somebody who's never run an event before. Mm-hmm. What would be the point? Mm-hmm. Like, it's not worth it. If you just need a warm body, go find a warm body. You can, you can call like a, a temp agency, right? Mm-hmm. And we know a lot of mobile bidding companies used to leverage temp agencies. Like, you don't need, this is not like security where you just need someone to stand here and check mm-hmm. tickets at the door, right. right? These people need to have some expertise. Mm-hmm. And so the mobile bidding company that's supplying them should. And so I would always ask, how was this company formed? Where did they come from? Why did they write this software? Why are they in this space? And what kind of experience did did they have and what kind of experience do they have? So when someone in customer service is answering your question, do they know what you're talking about? Because a lot of the questions we get aren't, how do I add an item to Hambit? It's like, how do I do this on my guest list because I want to run check-in this way? Mm Right. And now you're having a conversation about the process around their event, not, you know, some technical feature. Right. Mm-hmm. And you do a lot of coaching, so I'm sure you have something to add on this. But. <laughs> well, I mean, that's basically all yeah. I do is talk to people about the their event and the software and how the software can best be utilized for their event. So whether it's I want to run a wine wall, I want to do this crazy thing. How can I do that using this software and being able to come alongside them and show them the best way, yeah. not not a workaround, not this and that, but the best and most easiest way yep. to, to run it. And then if it doesn't work, having the the willingness to say, this isn't going to work. Right. This is this is kooky. Right. <laughs> we do? do plenty of that. Oh, right? yeah. I mean, tons of like, I like that idea. It's really great. But we should probably not use the software for that. Yeah. I mean, it's okay because we want our software to be a great experience. And we don't want it to be just this jimmy jangling of a bunch of ideas and trying to wrap it up. And we will tell you if if it's not going to work for your idea. Most of the time, yes. You find middle ground. and You find middle ground. You find middle ground. And you also sometimes, again, this is the beauty of working with certain mobile bidding companies that I think have been there and through the trenches have done it to come back. When they tell you I don't care who it is. I don't care if you're talking to One Cause, Give Smart, Us, Give Regie, anybody. If they tell you it's a bad idea, you should listen to them. <laughs> Please. <laughs> okay? Now, you can disagree with them, but the point is, is that there's probably a reason why they don't do it that way. Mm-hmm. Okay? Now, you may not like the reason, yeah. like I said earlier, but in a lot of cases, they're probably right. And I, I look, we, we've talked about this in check-in in all of our other podcast episodes. We're not going to revisit it here. But there's a lot of reasons why certain software works the way it does. But if you're working with a company that has extensive event exp- expertise, you can, you can bet, right? Or you can at least trust that there's reasons why they do certain things the way they do them, right? Yeah. 
And so that's that's what we're gonna we're gonna leave it on that one, Woo-hoo! which is you know find a company that's got some event expertise or ask them how much event expertise they have, and if they're gonna send somebody to your event, what kind of person are they gonna send? It's all important for you to find out when you're kind of selecting these businesses out there, you know, and then you know. Find an innovative company. Find a partner, right? Find someone who's tracking all these things. Find somebody who knows that the next state data privacy law is on its way before you have to tell them, right? Mm -hmm. Find a company that knows what the raffle and drawing laws are in your state, okay? Hint, hint. That's a big one. Yes. (laughs) There's a podcast on that one, by the way. Exactly. (laughs) Find someone who's adding new innovative things. Look at their, you know, that's the, you know. Look at what they've added to the software. Ask for their release notes. Ask them, what have you added to this software in the last year? Give me a bulleted list. You probably drive their sales nut, rep, nuts. <laughs> I would love that, uh, to answer all those questions, right. by the way. <laughs> but you should ask. Like, have you yeah. done anything to this thing? Right? I mean, so People anyway. People ask. People ask that smart, educated, sophisticated buyers will ask those questions. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. You know, it's funny in the world of open space or sorry, open space, open source software, right? <laughs> We're in Colorado. Yeah. Sorry. Open space. Yeah. <laughs> so in within the world of open source software, there's a lot out there. And so say you're looking for some sort of tool or utility, right? And you search it and you find it out on these public repositories. I'm like, oh, there's there's 15 different utilities that I could plug into my app that do that. Okay. What do you think the first thing is we look for? When it was last updated. Oh, yeah. Like, oh, my God, there's not been an update to that component since 2013. It's out. Mm-hmm. So it's, yeah. a, it's a point you need to look at and say, are, are these companies improving and growing their software? So anyway, right. we're, we're getting the signals. We're getting the signals yeah. that we've gone way too Producers long. Producers calling us. <laughs> Producer. I think there's some people jumping Diana's, up and down in the background. Yeah, she's starting <laughs> to yawn over here. Just I think lag. I need a diet Pepsi. I'm not going to lie. <laughs> <laughs> I'm going downhill. <laughs> <laughs> so we're going to end it there. Thank you, guys. Um, we're going to wrap up this episode of Elevate Your Event. Thank you, Lori. Thank you for Diana for uh, coming on uh, to this thank one. You. Thank yeah, you guys for listening to our whole conversation on mobile bidding software and why it's priced the way it is. Uh, reach out to us. If you like this episode or any of our other podcast episodes, leave us a five-star review. Um, share it. You know, If you have a committee that's looking at different mobile bidding software, this is uh, something that might be helpful to them. Let them listen to this. Okay? And ask us questions, y'all. We love your questions. Yeah. We love them. We appreciate them. And um, Diana accumulates all of them in her pink pen. I and do. we will bring, we will bring them to the next podcast. <laughs> <laughs> all right. Sounds good. Thank you, guys. Until we meet again, happy fundraising. <laughs> <laughs>